Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. St. Augustine wrote of God, Thou hast put salt on our lips, that we may thirst for Thee. And so, Lord, where we are thirsty for Your presence, fill our cups and let us drink. And where we are not thirsty at all, would you rub salt on our lips, that we may desire you deeply and seek you first. Amen. Today is uh, our third week in the Psalms, a short little series that we called Drawing Near, Psalms of Devotion. And uh, we are looking at three pretty famous psalms, really, Psalm 46, Psalm 139, and today the most famous psalm in the whole Bible, Psalm 23. For thousands of years, stretching back all the way to ancient Israel, Psalm 23 has been a source of incredible comfort. It's been treasured by God's people because of what it reveals about God and what it shows us about ourselves. Psalm 23 is an invitation to put your trust in the presence of the Good Shepherd. And what I got this morning is a little different to normal. I don't have a sermon with points. I just have some more devotional style reflections on this psalm as we walk our way through each of the verses. And so there's a chance that you might hate it, you might not like it. There's a chance you might love it, actually, and you might say, you should do that more often. We'll see. I think it works for this psalm. And maybe it also works for this moment. As a community, we've had an experience of walking through the valley of the shadow of death these last few weeks. We're not all there right now, though some of us are very much still there, and some of us have been walking through that valley for quite some time. Wherever you're up to, I'm hoping that today you encounter Christ. The Good Shepherd who can bring assurance and confidence to your heart and who offers healing for your soul. As I've meditated on this psalm this week, I've been reminded over and over how good it is to be able to say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This week I've also leaned a little more heavily on one guide than usual. It's this book by an author named Kenneth Bailey. 
And Kenneth Bailey died a few years ago, but for most of his life, he was a Bible professor who lived and taught in Lebanon, Egypt, Palestine, and Israel. Spent most of his life, American, but spent most of his life in the Middle East. And one of the things that he became particularly well regarded for was in being able to show how properly understanding the cultural context into which the Bible spoke and the world of the Bible could unlock meaning in the text. And so along the way, we're going to let Kenneth Bailey and one or two others guide us. There's a few quotes, they're all up on the screen. You're going to learn a lot about sheep and a lot about shepherding. You can thank me later. But as we begin, I want you to begin uh, by doing a little imaginative exercise. I want you to imagine that you're a sheep. And you're on a journey. It's a journey from the village, from the village to green pastures and still waters where you can be replenished. But along the way, as you journey, you've got to pass through some really dangerous and dark places. Don't imagine paddocks on the south coast of New South Wales, all lush and green. This is ancient Israel. It's arid. It's rocky and hot. Can you picture it? Well, let's begin walking through the psalm. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 1 of Psalm 23 is kind of like a headline verse for the psalm. It stands there as a summary of everything that's going to come afterwards. In fact, if you'd wanted to be able to say in one sentence, what is Psalm 23 about? You would just quote verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the first thing I want you to notice is who your shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice also how personal this shepherding relationship is. God's not just the shepherd, for David He's my shepherd. The Psalms weren't always to be read in chronological order, but if you were reading through the book of Psalms, up until this point in the Psalms, you've heard descriptions about God like a warrior, as a king, as a rock, and as a fortress, but you've heard nothing quite as personal as this The Lord is my shepherd. And that's a very good thing, because to be a sheep is to be vulnerable. When you leave the village, you're vulnerable as a sheep. You're entirely dependent on your shepherd. Here's Kenneth Bailey. He says, sheep have a special problem. They have no defenses. Cats have teeth, claws and speed. Dogs have teeth and their speed. Horses can kick, bite and run. Bears can claw, bite and crush. Deer can run, but the sheep have no bite or claws and cannot outrun any serious 
predator. They can butt other sheep, but that ability will not protect them from a wolf or a bear. The sheep's only security is the shepherd. In other words, this psalm begins by saying, Lord, it's only you. Only you can protect me. Only you can sustain me. This is a commitment to the Lord as the source of security in the midst of many dangers and when no other help is available. We said two weeks ago that if you try to live your life partially dependent on Jesus and partially dependent upon something else, it won't work. You'll never truly feel secure, whether it's your relationship, your finances, your career, your children, your friends. You'll never truly feel secure because all those things are out of your control and they're not unchanging. They change. But God never changes. He's the one constant, utterly faithful. And he's the one thing that can never be taken away from you. But more than that, more than just his faithfulness, he's also the one who can truly satisfy. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another well-known translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Doesn't that strike a dissonant chord in a culture where everything tells you that you have wants? And the advertising industry does a pretty huge job of trying to tell you that those wants are not just wants, they're actually felt needs, that you need them in order for your life to be meaningful and for you to be satisfied. The truth is we're all wrestling with unmet needs and unfulfilled desires. But where you take those needs and where you take those desires will make a huge difference. If you take them to the wrong place, to the wrong people, they will break your heart. But if you take them to Christ, your shepherd, you will find contentment. And your testimony could become like the testimony of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Another way to translate that first half of the verse is, he causes me to lie down. Here's Kenneth Bailey again. Sheep will only lie down when they have had plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, and are not threatened by any wild animal or disturbed by biting insects. Do you know what a sheep is doing when it's lying down? It's resting. 
And I don't know about you, but I think a pretty accurate assessment of our culture is that many, many people are absolutely exhausted, and yet we don't know how to rest. And that's a pretty toxic combination. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had the experience where you say, I'm so tired, I'm too tired to rest? You're exhausted and it's like, I really should just go to sleep, but instead you're too tired to take yourself to bed and so you're just mindlessly scrolling the internet or mindlessly watching D-grade TV. And that's just a small-scale symptom of the bigger problem, which is that we're constantly seeking to be entertained or to fill our lives up with more and more. We're constantly making ourselves busy and part of the problem is that we don't know how to switch off and to rest. But underneath that, and maybe the reason that we feel that restlessness is that we don't feel safe and we don't feel satisfied. We've got lots of needs and we're constantly comparing ourselves to others and we feel pretty frightened. You feel that? Bailey goes on, the good shepherd leads me. He does not drive me. There's a marked difference. In Egypt, where there is no open pasture land, I've often seen shepherds driving their sheep from behind with sticks. But in the open wilderness of the Holy Land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of his sheep and either plays his own 10-second tune on a pipe or, more often, sings his own unique call. The sheep appear to be attracted primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. Do you remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. Do you know the voice of your good shepherd? Do you know his call? Here's one of the things that he says. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Whose voice do we listen to when we're constantly being told messages about who we are and what makes our lives valuable? Your good shepherd, he wants to lead you to green pastures and still waters. But that means listening to his voice. Here's another thing you need to know about sheep. Sheep won't drink from fast-moving water. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I learned that this week. They get scared if water's moving too fast, and so a shepherd can lead a a flock of sheep to a fast-flowing river, and if there's just one or two little pockets where the water is slow, the sheep will take turns two or three at a time drinking, even if the rest of them are thirsty. And if there's no little inlets or no little spots where the water slows down, the shepherd has to go ahead of the sheep and he has to build a little dam with rocks in order to slow the water down. 
your good shepherd wants to lead you to still waters. He wants to give you what you need. He wants to give you peace and joy and contentment and patience and hope. He wants you to draw near to Him and He goes ahead of you to create moments for you to be fed by Him, be, to encounter Him. And maybe, just maybe you're someone who needs to pray the prayer, Lord, could you create a little bit of still water for me? Because I am thirsty and I am tired and I need your presence. Please meet me and refresh me. Here's verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for His name's sake. Now, it might sound like this verse is just kind of repeating a little bit of what was happening in verse 2, but the word soul in Hebrew is also the word for life, and a stronger translation of this first phrase gives us something like, He brings my life back. And so I think this doesn't so much have to do with tending to a tired sheep as it does for rescuing a lost sheep. Kenneth Bailey says this, he says, Once a sheep knows that it is lost, it tries to hide under a bush or rock and begins quivering and bleating. The shepherd must locate it quickly, lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. On being found, it is usually too traumatized to walk and must be carried back to the flock or to the village. Do you remember the parable Jesus tells about the shepherd and his lost sheep? He says that the good shepherd leaves the 99 and he comes out to find the one. Do you know that your good shepherd will come to find you if you're lost? If you're lost in sin, feeling stuck in behaviours or attitudes that are destructive, Jesus searches for you. And if you feel emotionally stuck in life, maybe because you've experienced such a deep level of hurt and pain at one point in your life that you just emotionally froze up. And that could be a good short-term strategy because it helps to deal with the pain in the moment, but if that short-term strategy becomes a long-term strategy of just being emotionally frozen, then that will lead to really bad consequences. If that's you, you need to know that your good shepherd wants to rescue and restore you. He's good like that. If you'll give him your trust, he'll disentangle you from the bush or rock you've been hiding under. And he'll put you on his shoulders and he'll carry you home.
Verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Assyrian scholar George Lamza says this, he says, Valleys of the shadow of death are paths which wind in between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travellers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time while they are passing through. And there's a reason this verse is so famous, especially in the King James Version, you may know it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Our translation has darkest valley, uh, which is probably a little more accurate, even though it's less poetic. Either way, what David's speaking about is the experience of danger. And as you walk through life, you experience danger. That's just how it goes. And it's not wrong to feel afraid when there is danger about you. In fact, you probably should feel afraid. The question isn't whether or not you feel afraid, but where you choose to look when you do. Because if you look in the right direction, that can calm your fears. And for sheep, one glance at the shepherd is enough to remind them we're okay. We don't need to worry. He's with us. We're safe. In fact, at the center of the psalm is that line. If you look at the structure of the psalm, it all kind of comes to this middle point, And the very middle words of Psalm 23 are, For you are with me. That's what it's pointing to. I don't need to fear because I have a shepherd in the valley. He's with me, present in a way that meets my need. There's a temptation in moments of danger or suffering to think that God won't come through for us and to look for the nearest thing that might possibly be able to help us. And so we run off to distractions or we overfunction and dig our fingers in as we seek to re- regain c- control or we emotionally shut off and we put our shells up to protect ourselves from getting hurt. But Psalm 23 tells you that when you enter the valley, that is the time to trust the shepherd. Corrie ten Boom Uh, who survived a Nazi concentration camp, wrote this. She said, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. And for David, what comforts him in adversity is that he sees the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff. It's sort of helpful to understand these two tools. The rod was the shepherd's primary offensive weapon. It's not a walking stick. 
It's more like a cricket bat. It's about that kind of length. And on the end of it is a mace wooden block. And into that mace-like end were, were um, embedded heavy pieces of sharp iron. And so when the sheep see the rod, they know that their shepherd has enough power to overcome their enemies. King David actually talked about how he overcame bears and lions when Saul says to him, you couldn't fight Goliath. He said, I've often defended my sheep against predators like that with a rod. And the staff, that was a little different. It was longer, around five feet high. And the shepherd leans on his staff. He climbs with it and he often directs his sheep with it. It usually had a crook on one end of it. And that crook was used if a lamb or a sheep fell into a crevice or if it was trapped on a ledge, he could use the hook to gently free it from where it was and help it get back safely onto the path. And so if the shepherd has a rod for defending against the external enemies, the threats from outside, he also has a staff to help the sheep when they get themselves into trouble It's for caring for the sheep. And here's the point. When the sheep see the shepherd's rod and his staff, they know that his arm is not too short to save. He can save them from their enemies, their external enemies. But he can also save them from themselves from the trouble that they get themselves into. You have a shepherd whose arm is not too short to save. He can save you from your enemies, including the greatest enemies of sin and death. And he can save you from yourself. Are you starting to see how good it is to have the Lord as your shepherd? Well, verse 5, we've got to speed it up here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Suddenly, we've got a scene change. We've moved from the shepherd and the sheep to a host and his guests. The image is of feasting in the presence of enemies. It's as if the enemies have been pursuing you as you've come to the edge of the camp, but now you're in the tent of the Lord and they hover back growling and prowling, but not daring to come any closer. It's an amazing image. You're seriously threatened. Maybe those enemies are human. Maybe those enemies are systemic. Maybe those enemies are the spiritual enemies of sin, suffering and death. You're in the place of scarcity and danger. But the Lord can meet you there and you can experience his abundance. Bring that back. That's the image here of the cup overflowing. And the point is that your ability to drink doesn't match 
the ability of God to fill your glass. You think about that? The cup overflows, which means that his ability to fill is greater than your ability to drink. And so just start drinking. If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel constantly under pressure, come to Jesus and ask him to satisfy your thirst. He may not take you out of your situation, but he, he can let you experience abundance even in the place of scarcity. And then verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Notice that it's no longer the enemies who pursue, it's goodness and mercy. And the point is that you're safe in the ancient world of shepherding. If the shepherd had an assistant, if there were two of them, then one of them would go ahead of the flock and the other would go behind following closely to make sure that a straggling sheep wasn't taken by a predator. And here what follows you is God's goodness and mercy, that's what's taking up the rear guard. You have Christ, your good shepherd, in front of you, and you have God's faithful love following you, and so you're surrounded. God in front of me, God behind me, God above me, God below me, I'm safe. It's not suffering that pursues you. It's not old age and sickness and mortality. It's not relationship dysfunction, though we experience all of these things. What pursues you, what follows you, if you are in Christ, is God's grace, His goodness and His mercy. So Paul the Apostle can say that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is your good shepherd. And if you follow Jesus, your Saviour has promised that He will lead you through the valley and the storms so that you might experience abundant life. And you know that He will do it because He is fiercely committed to you. In fact, He's so committed to you that the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep, that's what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He's walked through the darkest valley. He's walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows the way. It cost him his life, but he has power to lay it down and to take it up again. And therefore, he knows the way through the valley and to the other side where there is life and green pasture and still water, and a table set up with a feast full of rich food and a cup that cannot be drained. See, the reason ultimately that you lack nothing is because you do not lack Him. 
you have Christ. And so whatever moment you find yourself in, whether this is a good season for you, whether it feels like there are plenty of green pastures and still waters around, or whether it feels like you're walking through a dark valley, hold on to Him. He is your good shepherd. And in Him, you shall not want. Let's pray. Father, we need you as our shepherd. And we deceive ourselves when we think that we are not like sheep, lost without a shepherd, lost without someone to guide us and lead us and fight for us and protect us, to make sure that we are nourished. But we thank you that you have not left us alone, you have not abandoned us when we get lost ourselves. When we trip and stumble and fall, you come and you search for us. And Jesus, at great personal cost, you came and you laid down your life Please inscribe it on our hearts, in our minds this week that we have a good shepherd. Help us to listen to your voice and to walk closely with you. We pray it in Christ's mighty name. Amen.